The following program was produced by Community Producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the Community Producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Hello, Malden, and welcome to another edition of 02148. I'm your host, Jerry Leone, and Happy New Year. This is actually my first show of 2019. Don't forget, at 7.30, we'll have Janelle DeVitz. But right now, I have a special guest returning, Erin Cavalbacci. How are you? Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for having me back on, Jerry. This has been a wonderful holiday season, Christmas season, New Year. It, it's been such a whirlwind, so I'm glad all, to be back. All wrapped in one. So as you know, two, probably a little over two months ago, you had an election against Senator Jason Lewis. Now, since you've everything is all finished, how would you, what's your final report of everything you've experienced? Because you did a lot. Thank you. It was a wonderful experience. So I'm really happy that I had the opportunity. I really feel blessed that I had the full backing and support and encouragement of my husband because Carlo really is the one that that encouraged me to get out there and run. It was fast because I came into the the cycle so late and I'm still doing my finishing touches, uh, trying to get all my thank you notes out. So if I haven't gotten one to you, it doesn't mean I forgot you. And it's, I learned a lot. I want to make sure that I really press upon it was an experience. I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad that I was a mom who leaned in because it was really an education for my entire family, but especially for my daughters. Uh, they were the ones that were on our social media. They were helping us. They were reading everything, uh, with the exception to our youngest daughter. She'll, she'll be 12 at the end of the month. But for our oldest daughters, who are 18 and 16, it really was a wonderful learning experience for them. Uh, so I had started to share with you, and I'll yeah, continue. Yeah. So leading up to the election, what I learned most about this is – a professor of mine said once, the difference between stupid and ignorance is stupid, you just don't know, and ignorance is you choose not to know. So for someone like me, for running, it was educating people. And I'm happy for the time that I had to be able to speak to people and try to educate them. I'm most disheartened and saddened by the people that would slam a door in my face or that would automatically make an assumption about me based on the party that I was running in. As we've discussed before, it's very difficult to run as an independent. You really, We really are a, a two-party system in Massachusetts. You're either running as a Republican or you're running as a Democrat. And I chose to run as a Republican. I truly am more of an independent person. But leading up to the election, the day before the election, I was in Malden and canvassing, and a woman was actually screaming at my daughter because I happened to be Republican. And my daughter kept saying, may I talk to you about my mother? Well, may I share something about my mother? And my daughter said to me that what she was trying to do was take the psych psychological approach of if this woman hears mother she's eventually going to click and say, oh, this is someone's daughter that I'm having a conversation with. And my daughter walked away and said it, it never registered. So what we've learned is people really are fearful. People are ignorant. We know that. But this fear is, is really paralyzing people to really take a step back and say, what can I do to make a difference? And for me, trying to make a difference was running. 
So I'm glad I did it. Well, you know, congratulations. Like I took that step a few years back and I, I, I love politics as you do. And I encourage people to run and I hope, you know, we haven't seen the last of you and there's, there's many other things you can do in my opinion. You know, just in, correct me if I'm wrong, Reading, are they starting to pull papers for the spring election this this spring? They are. So what has happened is my illustrious campaign manager, which really was my husband, Carlo, we had named someone else as a campaign manager just because we wanted to make sure that the lines didn't blur. Yeah. But really, it was a family effort. So it really was my, my husband that he was truly behind me. He was the one that supported me. He's so encouraged. She's now running for the select board in Reading. Oh, wow. So now that the tables are a little reversed, I will be able to manage his campaign and apply what we have learned and it's exciting that he's that motivated to to lean in himself. Now, is this official or, or? It's official. Oh, so an exclusive. <laughs> wow, my, my first exclusive on the show. Thank you. Wow, this so, is great. Yeah, so Carlo Bacci for a select board in Reading and our oldest daughter who's at the University of Tennessee. She got in for the for biosystems engineering, but she had already changed her major to uh, she was believing it was leaning more towards food science. She's leaning now towards political science with the understanding of the policy ends because she was able to see firsthand how so many of our decisions in regards to our education budget, how, how closely it's tied to policy. And so for her, this was really interesting, and it's it's really caused her to make a change, too. Well, maybe someday they'll run. Well, uh, my daughter did say uh, when Hillary had run, my daughter said, sorry, Hillary, I'm going to be the first woman president. So I don't know. Yeah, she, you never know. <laughs> we never know. But, no, you have not seen the last of me. I'm going to continue advocating. I am um, trying to do some work in regards to bridging more – awareness specifically we're delving into the area of domestic abuse which I have done some work with in the past and had done some support for reach beyond domestic violence and that's something that's very near and dear to my heart especially now having uh, teenage daughters who are at that dating age and wanting to make sure that they are safe what we're coming to find out is all of our communities are not really working together with real advocacy for the, the survivors, those that are going through the, the process. So I'm going to do some work in that area, and especially for helping really, as I'd say, the teenagers, having teenagers that work for me and seeing the relationships that they're in that aren't all that healthy, I want to bring more awareness because I really want to make sure that that women continue to get involved and can really break that glass ceiling. Oh, wow. Is there any certain names of any organizations? Nothing that to? I can. Um, right now, there's no real group other than like each. Er what we're finding is each community has their own little organization. So Melrose has its. Reading has done some work with Reach Beyond Domestic Violence. So what we're trying to do is get some like-minded people together and start bridging and finding a way that all of these organizations can network and talk to each other. So that way they're not running as if they're their own little island. I see. Now what I wanted to ask you, if you could do anything different during the whole course of your election, would would, would you do anything different? <laughs> The only thing different is really the need of more time. And it, I was very naive going into it. I really took the high road. I did not want to, to go low. And I think for the most part, I believe I had stayed high. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for my opponent's campaign. And, and that's just, unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. But I know that I was beholden to my daughters, especially, and leading by example. If I wouldn't want them to behave in a negative manner, then I couldn't behave in a negative manner. Did that mean there were a lot of times that I was screaming into a pillow? Absolutely. So what I would do differently is really be out on the soapbox and screaming more. I would be a lot louder. 
than I was. Now, you probably, as in an advocate role, not only for your husband, but other people in writing and Melrose, too, like other, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's Reading, Stoneham, and Wakefield are all in April. Yes. Right? And then Winchester, is that in March? You know what? That's a good question. I'm not, I'd have to double check on that. Because obviously Melrose and Malden, They're, we run in the city cycle. Yes. Of tw- 2019, that's in, our elections are in this the, November. Yes, coming yes. Up. So people, you know, I don't know in Malden what's, what's going to happen with people. people. Now, are you finding, because this is what, I'm saddened that there aren't many people jumping in. Like, that's what we're finding. That was the other reason behind or what motivated Carlo is no one else was really stepping in. And we're seeing it even with our own school committee race that no one's pulled papers yet that we know of. And so I'm wondering within the different communities if the backlash from these campaigns and the the negative reactions on both sides is that hurting our democracy? Is that keeping more people from wanting to get involved? That, that's a good question. It could be some people, it could be different factors. Like you said, some people think if they don't have money, but as you know, money doesn't mean anything because no. we've had, look at people in Connecticut that have spent $500 million just to lose that much money on two races and lose. So sometimes it could happen. It's all the idea and who the person is. But I think... See, in Malden, we don't pull – if the election's this November, candidates are not going to pull papers until June. Okay. They can announce beforehand. For an example, someone on the school committee, that's a small ward race. Okay. So they probably wouldn't – whether they're a candidate going in or an incumbent, they probably wouldn't announce until the spring because okay. it's still – it's not too early for them. Some people, if they're brand new, they can announce early. Same with city council. At large, it's a different story. If you're a newbie, you want to come out of the box early and you can't come out in the spring. So you can announce all you want, fundraise, and you pull the papers in June. They're due at the end of July, and you need for at large, it's 200 signatures. And for counselor and school committee, it's 50. So I don't know how it is in in Reading, where you're from, with... If you're pulling the papers, you said they, they're coming oh, yeah, out they, now? Yeah, so they have to be turned in by, I believe it's February 12th. So that's why. So, And it's not a lot of signatures. To get 50 signatures does not take a, a long time. And to be certified, for the most part, you know yeah. pretty much. You know they should most likely all be certified. The, the issues are if someone's been knocked off from the census, but seeing that we just had an election, most of that should hopefully have been worked out. However, what is exciting, and you and I have talked about this before, is my disappointment in the different committees, the town committees. I will say the Democratic committees are very well organized. They have it down to your your wards. So within our community, which is a much smaller community, they have it down to the precincts, having the different captains. So we are recognizing that and we're trying to engage more people to come together so on february 2nd at the kowloon at nine o'clock there is going to be an informational session for the gop to try to get more people involved and encourage more people so that we can get behind more candidates and and share and be able to say this is what i learned this is how i can help you because i really believe it's collaboration we're all in this together, and what really hurts us is when people start thinking that it's it's just their own race. And that yeah. was something that I, I saw. You've seen it in the past, and that's not me. I've never been that type of person. I've, I believe even with my own business that success breeds success, and I want to help encourage other people. And that's something that I will continue. So, yes, in a way I will be advocating for other people as long as I know them. Yeah. And but even all it takes is for someone to reach out to me and say, hey, I'm thinking of running. And that's for any side, really. If someone on the Democratic side said, hey, I think I'm run. I, I want to run. I have no problem with someone reaching out to me and yeah. talking to me. Well, speaking of the parties, I may be wrong, but I think in this whole district, Malden may have the strongest Democratic oh, committee. I'm, I believe it could be Melrose. I don't, I don't know. I think. 
what's happening, we're seeing how they're starting to build up. And what's really interesting is that it's going at the most, I, I, I don't even know what the best word to describe it is, but going into the different individual committees. So library committees, what's happened is these, the Democratic committees are working to make sure that they have all their like-minded people really infiltrating at every single level. And my concern for that is if you're just one-sided, how is that real, really a democracy? How is that helping? I really believe that it's, it's not balanced, and that's something that I'm very concerned about. I'd like to see more balance on our boards and committees and that's where people are not paying attention. And that's our, our school committees, our library committees. That's your, your arts councils. So we're now seeing a lot of outside money that came in specifically for Democrats. We just saw it in North Andover. Yeah. National, that was the support. You, you had a, a former president and a former first lady supporting someone in a rep race. We would have never seen that. So what is that saying about Massachusetts on the national level? So I hope more people will wake up and lean in, regardless of your party, but do it for the right reasons. Yeah, and I think on the flip side, Malden has the weakest Republican committee. I left that year. I was going to ask, do you yeah. have a committee? A flimsy, I'm not. I'm not part of it. So if, if people who are watching, if you're on the Republican committee, I don't know. It's it's. I left. I I jumped that ship. Years ago, but what would you think is the strongest Republican committee in the in the district? In the district, I thought uh, Winchester, Wakefield, then Reading, Malden, non-existent. I thought Stoneham yeah. was non-existent, and it was interesting because I was at a meeting and I did bring that up. I said I I felt Stoneham was non-existent, and I was challenged. But I found it interesting because I never saw any meetings. I never received any word from anyone in Stoneham. And I had spent time in Stoneham. And I do, I actually sell into Stoneham. And I have a lot of um, family in Stoneham. So I did find that was interesting. So we ourselves in Reading, we're reorganizing. And I might actually go for the chairmanship of the Reading Republican Town Committee. I'm not sure. I, I want to be more involved just because I want to try to give the knowledge that I've learned and share that with other people now. Well, as you said, you just announced tonight that your husband will be running for Board of Selectmen in Reading. 2020 will be the election for state committee. Mm -hmm. And when you first told me you wanted to advocate, that's the light bulb that flashed into my head about I think you'd be a great candidate to oh, run for thank you. state committee because I know there's two there's 40 in the state mm -hmm. as you know and yeah why not I mean that's you know it's a long ways ahead 2020 you have to focus on the race at hand now in Reading in, yeah in the spring one day at a time yeah. yes no and that will our uh one of our daughters will our next daughter will be getting ready to um graduate by then too so there'll be a lot happening but it like I said the more that I can share with other people and if we can identify great candidates for that that's something that I would love to help with I know there's a lot of changes at our state level so Kirsten yeah. Hughes has stepped down uh, I, I keep hearing talk of more changes and shifts and it's interesting because having been part of a congressional campaign, and then having my my own, you see it's the volunteers are still in their 20s. So I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. You've grown. It's interesting when you're still dealing with young people. So we really need to be nurturing these, these volunteers early on. We need to be going after them at the high school level really getting them involved in the, the college level. What I do find is it's not unlike talking to students about what's your ideal job. And someone who may want to go into the finance world thinks at a high school level that it would be beneath them to be a bank teller. Yet, how are you going to start? 
you're you're not going to be on that top level executive panel right out of college. So the same thing applies. A lot of these volunteers want to be on the big campaigns, and they don't want to really cut their teeth on the the local grassroots campaigns, which I believe there's a lot to be learned at that level. I've learned a lot at that level. So I encourage more people to, to really lean in. All right. Well, the time we have left, we'll switch gears. You are a business owner. Yes. And for the people, if you want to, again, let the people know what business you own for the people who are either tuning in to see you for the first time. And I apologize. I didn't bring any chocolate oh, no, tonight. <laughs> I, I ran over from my mother-in-law's. So I am the owner of CB Stuffer, which is a chocolate manufacturing company. We are a manufacturer selling into specialty stores nationally. And then we have an online retail store, cbstuffer.com. My husband, Carlo Bacci, heads up production. And this weekend coming up, He'll be heading off to California for the Winter Fancy Food Show, which is one of the largest trade shows, which we exhibit at. And that's how we meet with potential buyers to help continue getting our products in front of major companies such as uh, Whole Foods, TGX companies, the paper stores, companies with national brands, and then looking for distributors. I will be heading off to the National Retail Federation show. That's their big show. And on Saturday, this will be, I think, my fourth year as an executive mentor to the students that are coming up through retail because I got my start in retail, and I really credit a lot of what I have learned from working in retail. It has been invaluable with what I've learned and been able to apply to my own company and having that hands-on experience, learning a lot about social media before there really was social media, and having the one-on-one -on -one interaction. I've been privileged to be in a mall. I've been privileged to be on Newbury Street, and it's it's exciting. So I'm excited to to mentor this newest crop of students that are coming out. Well, how was that running on the campaign and owning a business at the same time? You, ma you managed to balance that. I didn't. I no, took a yeah. big step away from the business, and it, it was interesting because that was – it really put a lot of pressure on my husband and at the worst possible time because we are a wholesaler. So fourth quarter for us means end of August up through November. That's our busiest season. Well, what's the busiest season in a campaign cycle? Same exact period. So it was a lot of stress in a short amount of time. And we went from the campaign ending, and then within a week, we were then in the online retail fourth quarter mode. So that was where we had a focus then on online corporate gifting. So we were actually up for our corporate sales this year, which was great, but a lot of that was truly last minute. So it was two weeks of working crazy. The unfortunate side of why, why I also ran was because what I'm seeing, as our costs continue to go up, we're having a harder time finding and recruiting staff. And I see how now with $12 an hour, it's really going to hurt students. So another thing that I want to work on is a student minimum wage so that we can make sure that our students are in jobs and getting the skills they need and they're not on the streets. And I'm, I, in the past, would have had probably four students working with me at Christmas time. I only had my daughter this year because it's just to be able to find them train them, and then keep them, that's a lot. And at $12 an hour, that's even more because a lot of it is these are their first jobs. Even though in high school I had already worked, I started at a farm stand, went on to a retail store, so I had, had held a few jobs. We're now getting 16-year-olds who have never ever worked, 18-year-olds who have never worked, and they don't, and they don't have the greatest family lives either. So it's not as if they have families that are telling them what they should do, how they should act, show up on time. So the, yeah. the basic skills, those are lacking. So 
we as a family business are not only their employer, we're also a parent in a lot of ways. Well, I think you, uh, I think you forgot to mention what, what else your company is famous for. Our, the largest peanut butter cup in the industry, is that? Yeah. What, what, are the, uh, what are the dimensions? So we have a, it's about five and a quarter inches. So yeah, so it's the size of my hand roughly, and it is the largest peanut butter cup in the industry available in the largest amount of flavors. So the newest flavor, which we had launched over in the summer, we're now also launching for the West Coast, and that is our salted pretzel. That's what I tried. Those those delicious. Thank yeah. you. So that's our pretzel and peanut butter cup, and we have it available in milk chocolate and dark chocolate. So that will be available for those on the West Coast who didn't have a chance to see it over the summer. They'll be able to sample it at the fancy at the fancy food show in San Francisco with Carlo. And from that, we're looking at what other products are we going to develop? Is that develop. Carlo's idea? The the size of the the peanut cup? butter cup? No, that was actually a company oh, I okay. bought. Oh, so. I had been a customer of the company that originally made it, and they were doing it more from a hobby standpoint. And that company, my experience with them and then purchasing them and the process that it took was really uh, such a painstaking process because they were selling emotions they didn't understand everything that was going through. So from that, that's actually how I developed the coursework for the, the course that I offer, and I give it a lot of times for free, Hobby to Business. So if anyone's interested, if you have a hobby and you're looking to launch a business, you can also contact me. So I work with people if they actually have a hobby and they think they want to take it to a business level, I talk to them about how to get there. Because it's very different, as we all know. A hobby is something you love. When you have to do it for money, you don't necessarily love it as much anymore. Yeah. And so the peanut butter cup came from another company, and then we tweaked it. And for the viewers watching at home, if they want to get a hold of you or your products, what is the, the website? So cbstuffer.com. And then you can also email me at erin at cbstuffer.com or find me on Facebook, too. Okay. Any last uh, – we have two minutes. Two minutes. Time. I'm I'm so sad. So now I'm going to – I'll have to come back before maybe Valentine's Day or afterwards. We'll have to do like a chocolate tasting. Yeah. I'll, 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 be, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be the judge of that. And yeah. uh, no, there's – because there's a lot of different businesses that are starting up around Malden. So I had – I was trying to work with the newest, I think it's the art shop that opened up near the bakery. Yeah. And, uh, but the, it, the timing just didn't work out, unfortunately. But hopefully you'll start to see my products around here in the different shops. That's my goal is to, to continue developing it'll, it'll that. It would be like the old giraffes. Yes. 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 What, yes. Was the, what was the company in Cambridge? Neko. Well, Neko originally was in there, and then the there was Bowden, Bord, Bowden? Ha Haviland, uh, Haviland. Ha yeah, yeah, those, yep. And oh, Borden is that Haviland Borden? Then there's. A, do you know actually, this area, the North Shore, used to be the largest for chocolate manufacturing and candy manufacturing, yeah. and yep. and that's so that's that's the unfortunate side is we're losing a lot of those industries just because our costs continue to go up. I had advocated against our cost of sugar a few years ago because unfortunately we're not growing it here in the United States. But that's another. I heard, <laughs> in the, I heard in the next 25, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard in the next 25 years that coffee beans will be extinct. Well, that's it. Coffee, cocoa, and a lot of that is because they're not, where they're not grown in areas that the United States has control over. Yeah. So something that I have worked on and I know we need to end like with the trade uh, I am someone who would like to see us have better relation, a better relationship with Cuba so we could get coffee, sugar, yeah. chocolate. So that's another. All right. Well, we'll have you back. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank and, you. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. We'll be right back with a little intermission in a couple minutes. Stay tuned. Thank, Thank you. you.
All right, everybody, we're back from that short break, and I'm joined with Malden Zone attorney Janelle DeVitz. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good. First time on my show. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. And uh, so for the people watching at home who may have never met you, if you want to explain you know, who you are and your history in Malden. Sure. Do you want me to go back to being born in the Malden Hospital? Or yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the steps. The, uh, how yeah, far yeah. back do you want to go? Well, um, you were born here, so you're, you're schooling yep. in Malden. Born at Malden Hospital, um, the good old hospital. I went to Immaculate Conception in Ward 2. Then I went to Malden High, played three varsity sports all four years. I actually got inducted into the Hall of Fame in wow. 2015. Went to college, went to University of New Hampshire, uh, walked onto the basketball team there, played D1 basketball, worked my way up to full scholarship, junior, senior year. Took a year off, worked full-time, studied for the LSAT, decided I want to go back to law school, got a full ride to Hofstra University on Long Island, did well enough there to get a job at Ropes and Gray in Manhattan, and I was working in Manhattan for about a year, and my parents called me one day and said, hey, we're moving to New Hampshire, we're selling the house. And I was like, whoa, everybody take a deep step back here, because my dad came over from Belgium and bought the house. And then my dad bought it from him. And so there was no way I was going to, you know, let a family house go without looking hard at trying to buy it. So I talked to Ropes. I said, hey, can I transfer to the Boston office? Was able to swing it to, to purchase the house. So I actually bought my childhood home 2014 now, maybe. Um, and I've been working in Boston ever since and back to Malden, living in my childhood home. And then um, now I'm working at Kirkland Ellis, doing private debt finance law and trying to be as involved as I can in Malden. I'm actually on the MATV yeah. board. Oh, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we couldn't. So go yeah. MATV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't have All planned right. that better. Um, a recent appointment, and I'm hoping to help them um, execute on some strategic initiatives, including some financing and some project uh, finance uh, that they have down the pipeline. And mo as of recently, I've been coaching the Malden Youth Basketball on Saturdays, and trying to stay as involved as I can in the community to give back. I think, you know, my main goal is to recognize what Malden gave me, either from, you know, the kids and families I grew up with in my neighborhood versus the public high school and the, and the coaches and the teachers that invested a lot of time into my success. Um, yeah. Now that I'm back and I'm able and I have, you know, resources to do it, I think it's just an obligation to give back to your city when you love it and you're invested in it either as a homeowner or a benefactor of, you know, the people who invested in you. So it's, you know, one of the things is you turn around, you give back. Um, so that's really been my main goal. Now, what has been your experience in politics as far as campaigns you've worked on in the past, whether it's local or state level? Yeah, uh, most recently I helped uh, a good friend of mine who I went to high school with, Ryan O'Malley. When he moved back, he wanted to run uh, for ward counselor in yeah. Ward 4. And, you know, he knew I was obviously very organized and I was able to, to balance a book yeah. and, and whatnot. And I had a little bit of experience on a campaign prior to that. So he reached out and asked if I would help him on his campaign, you know, as his treasurer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, basically encouraging him that you go knock door to door and you meet your neighbors and you figure out what they care about and what their concerns are. And you let them know you and you, you look them in the eye and you show them that you're genuine, that you can win a ward race. You know, you don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of backing from outside big names. You need to just put your feet on the ground and show people you're genuine, you care about it. And it's the hard work you put into it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and people can tell when you're, you know, telling the truth and when you really care about something. So he had a couple of things he felt passionate about, and he made his case, and he won. Now he's in his second term, so it's that was a fun experience. Uh, other than that, I actually, in undergrad, at UNH, um, I wasn't involved in a campaign per se, but I did, you know, go out and advocate in the general election, especially in New Hampshire, being a swing state for Obama in his first term, not his second term. <laughs> um, and then in 2016, I went out to Iowa and I helped caucus for Rand Paul in the oh, wow. Republican primary. Yeah. Wow. So you started off as a Republican or independent? I think we've had this offline. No, I mean, I don't identify with either. I mean, yeah. I'm an independent. I think I look at the issues, and um, I try, now that I've gone through law school, and kind of have a better understanding, I think, of the role of government 
um, really try and figure out what the principle is behind the policy and, and look at it from an individual uh, policy point of view rather than a party per se. I don't think necessarily the parties, especially as of late, have been actually acting in the best interest of the people, either party. Um, it's just so divisive and sometimes people dig in their heels because they want to be loyal to their party instead of trying to figure out you know, a decent compromise among reasonable people. So for me, my big issue, let's say, when I was younger in undergrad, you know, had to do a lot with identity politics. So when you yeah. identify a certain way, you want to make sure that you're being treated equally under the law or there's no discrimination. You really kind of dive into that, and that's something you feel passionately about, and so you, you put a lot of energy into it. And then, you know, you develop, you get older, you evolve a little bit, and you take a big step back. My next, you know, my bigger issue was actually war and peace. Like, to, for me, it's, you know, I think we have a severe issue um, with how much war we export, right? So one of our biggest drivers in the economy is actually weapons. Um, and so when you're looking at that policy, does it, you know, outweigh identity politics? No, I, I think for a lot of people who are discriminated against and have a day-in, day-out, you know, impact on that, you can't tell them that it's not important to them, right? Yeah. But for me, my big issue when I went out to Iowa was war. And the most peaceful candidate I found, you know, in the race was Rand Paul. And partly because I found Ron Paul before him and it trickled down. Um, but then even from there you grow, right? Because then you're like, okay, well, I don't agree with him on 35% of the things. Yeah. So where do you fall? You know, you can't ever say 100% back somebody. You're not going to agree with them on everything. Yeah. And so I actually had a couple of friends who, I don't know if they were disappointed, but they were, you know, questioning, why would you go out and caucus for a Republican? And I said, well, the Democrats are, you know, okay on X, Y, and Z. And although I might disagree with him on A, B, and C, he's advocating peace. You know, he's advocating non-interventionism. He's advocating, yeah. you know, investing money here and, and, and looking at what we do with foreign aid and who, you know, we're propping up worldwide. Um, and for me, I thought that was a larger conversation. I mean, I think you can attest to the fact that since you were a young kid, we've been at war. Yeah. You know, I, I've had friends die in war. So for me, that's a big issue, um, especially when we need the money here at home. So when I jo when I joined the service, we were at war, too. And I was out in the reserves as a cop, you know, and I never I was never sent. But my unit was sent to Iraq. I had a month left in the Air Force. They don't I think you I think with the Air Force, if you have under six months it's a it's they a block they you. won't send you yeah. but, but you had friends that go yeah three yeah. four five times all of a sudden you say how long can you stay in a certain country and and do things so um that would end up being that issue for me and so yeah i never really um found a lot of comfort in identifying one way or the other just because i think policies themselves are important and, and diving into the substance of it yeah and having a reasonable and civil conversation around them is so crucial because reasonable people can disagree, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. the one thing you learn is there's a lot of gray area in the law and how you interpret it. And when you lose the civility of the dialogue and you lose the ability to respect somebody, even if you disagree with them vehemently, you, you lose the opportunity to find common ground and actually maybe come to a better solution because you never have the conversation. Yeah. You know, I was listening to your guest previously, and I think she made a great point about a lot of people not feeling comfortable putting their name into the ring and putting themselves out there because it's gotten so nasty. And, you know, people are going to dig into things that are either A, irrelevant yeah. or B, from so long ago that, you know, now that now they're just trying to make you look bad because you've obviously grown and have come a long way from there. So why would anybody put their neck out on the line? Why would anybody sacrifice their family or their friends or their partner? I mean, yeah. it's come so nasty that even when people have good ideas and are reasonable people who can have a conversation about how to find a solution, you miss out on those people because they're not willing to get mud slung at them, you know? And it's hopefully something that changes soon. I think, you know, our current council president, I was listening to her opening speech yesterday, you know, about her goals on the council. And I, I said, I, I was like, amen, because it was, hey, how do you foster civil dialogue? You know, because the issues change, what's pressing changes, what needs to happen, you don't know, but might be different tomorrow than yeah. it is today. But how can you look at somebody and say, hey, I don't agree with you on that, and here's why, here's facts and stats and my reasonable argument that's logical and 
and you have a conversation, you have a debate about it, and then you try and find either A, a common ground, or B, a better solution, because you've combined two different perspectives or three different perspectives. Um, so I, I, I appreciated that point of focus for her, because I think, especially on the council, it's important at a local level to show yeah. that type of civility as a starting point. You know? And she ran against Senator Lewis, and she, her husband um, ran her campaign, and she just told me tonight on an exclusive that in Reading, because their elections, because their towns are, are in April. Oh, so her early. husband now has pulled papers. papers to run for selectman in Reading. Yeah, good for him. So that's an experience they yeah. both. Yeah. Well, I mean, her family has already gone through the ringer, yeah. right? So yeah. why not? I mean, at that point, everything's out. You yeah. might as well. There's not a lot of um, mud to sling at that point, right? I mean, yeah. So good for him. I, I wish him luck. Well, let's see. Let's see. In your opinion, uh, what do you think of some hot topic issues in Malden currently? Because like you said, they can change at any time. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious ones, at least citywide to me, seem to be housing. Yeah. Um, affordable housing or too much housing. Uh, not enough housing, depending on what side you are on. I think housing is a big topic. Understanding the impact on housing um, generally and then the impact housing has on our resources and our school um, overcrowding, things like that, is obviously, I think, a hot topic. Um, I would say the Malden River is probably going to be the next big uh, development topic. Obviously, it's prime for uh, interest given the casino yeah. and the, the, you know, the goals they have there with the ferries and water access. Um, traffic always is going to be a local issue. Yeah. Roads, traffic, yeah. your typical, hey, who's going to you know, patch my road. But for as far as like Ward 2 goes, I mean, I, I drive to work. Um, I take the train sometimes, but the orange line's not that, you know. Especially in the winter. Dependable, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my work hours are just ridiculously long, so I, I kind of have to have the flexibility. But, um, you know, I think transportation generally is going to be an answer to some of the traffic, how we find alternative modes of transportation. Do we prioritize alternative tra modes of yeah. transportation? How do you incentivize people to um, use them, right, and, and decrease traffic? How do you incentivize developers to mitigate the traffic by expanding the roads or putting in better lighting or otherwise, I think, is a you know an issue that should be discussed more frequently. Um, I think the hospital site's a huge issue right now in yeah. Malden, making sure that, you know, the spirit of what that was, but from, you know, obviously Elijah Converse donating it to Malden for the public good, you know, how do you honor that spirit of, of a benefactor donating that much, you know, in that point in time, land and value to the people of Malden, whether it's open space or otherwise, you know, whether it's another hospital or and making sure that the community members most impacted have a voice and, and whatnot. It's not just turned over to, you know, developers and the private entities that own it currently. Yeah. Um, so that's, a, I think, a hot topic as well. Another one is the opioid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's doesn't discriminate, right? So no. that's a, a topic beyond Malden and Massachusetts in particular is having an issue. You know, getting people off of addictive substances is obviously the key to that. And how, yeah. what are the alternatives to pain medicine or what's the alternative to, you know, educating kids at a younger age not to even try it because it only takes one time. Yeah. Um, I think Paul has been doing a phenomenal job in outreach with that and making sure folks have resources and support if, you know, they can come to a point of, hey, I want to get clean and how do you support that and make sure it's a consistent theme. Um, I think he's been doing a phenomenal job with that. So I'm glad the mayor picked him up and he has that going community-wide. I think you're right. It's it's deeply important to families and, and whatnot to make sure that we address that as a mental health issue and make sure we're allocating resources appropriately. I know when I had uh, Senator Lewis on right before the election, he told me that um, Massachusetts, there's five communities in the state that are vying for potential re rehab center facility. in Malden may get picked and then the next step is the city council voting on it would they need to issue a special permit or do zoning or that he didn't he didn't get into but he just said he I think he made it sound like it was just a an up and down vote because I think Plymouth is one of the communities that is on the top of the list and then Malden I think there were five could be more but no Malden and Plymouth were on and the state is going to make that determination of offering it to a city or a town and then the council 
would Has vote if it. it comes to, yeah. you know, that may be, that could go up to the hospital site. We don't know. It's, it's it depends. I mean, on, there's so many options yeah. as far as what can be done there. As, you know, what's in the best interest of the city at the time and what resources we need and whatnot and where you get funds from. I mean, everything is about how do you pay for it, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's tons of options there. And, and another issue was uh, the marijuana topic. Yeah, that was that's, that was an interesting one for the last yeah. two years now. Yeah, it's in my opinion, it's it's you know the the city voted on it mm-hmm. favorably. Let's let, let's do it. Yeah, I mean it was a tight that's, vote. It wasn't like a grant, you know a slam yeah. dunk. I think it was fifty four percent or something voted yes. But you know I advocated a lot on that because it's not so much I'm a proponent of people doing a lot of pot. You know, it's a matter of a. Uh, abiding by the law and for me the law is very clear so when yeah. Malden became a community that voted in favor of it right we by law could not prohibit it unless we put it back on the ballot so we can't through our zoning say there's no parcels that qualify for these types of businesses to come in that's a that's a violation of state law yeah. and now you're opening the city up to litigation which is costly and unnecessary. And if you watched what the city council do at medical marijuana, where they zoned it so strictly um, with 1,500-foot buffers around daycares and schools and churches and parks, Malden's only so big. There's literally no parcel of land in Malden that qualified. And so they had a de facto ban on medical marijuana, even though it was zoned. And so when you watch what they proposed initially to the planning board, um that had a 500-foot buffer around everything, it didn't meet the percentage that it had to meet under state law. It was very clear. And, you know, I stood up and I made a a big deal about the planning board, and unfortunately it passed, but then it died in city council. I think the only reason it died in city council is because it was an election year. And people had to answer their question. Do you agree with the current zoning, which would be a de facto ban on recreational marijuana, which would be in violation of state law. And it's hard for anybody running for office to be like, yeah, I want to violate state law. And so they had to reassess (laughs) it, obviously, uh, because nobody wants to open the city up to litigation. I mean, I think that's the main point, right? You have to, uh, you know, comply with the law. And so, um, and for all of you out there who are saying, well, it's illegal under federal law, which is, you know, opponent number one's main case is he actually doesn't understand how preemption works, right? Because there's several cases out there from federal courts that say in other states that have already legalized marijuana that local communities that are doing zoning for something are not, you know, in conflict with the Controlled Substance Act, which states that marijuana is a Title I or Schedule I drug. There's case law that has already interpreted that. Um, And so there's, it's it's a little bit, dense it's a little bit substantive you kind of have to read a little bit on it to understand that um and i think once people started realizing that the city is not violating federal law by putting in a zoning ordinance um people actually started getting to work and and looking at what would be best for malden as far as zoning is concerned that complies with state law but doesn't open up the gates to you know by right marijuana establishments coming in I think the result is still a little restrictive, um, but it was a compromise, like I said. So you can't get everything you want. You have to say, hey, we're complying with law. People are obviously uncomfortable with it being near a school or near a park or near daycare. You put the buffer zones in. And hopefully, you know, we have enough parcels that qualify that nobody sues us. And, yeah. and the goal is obviously business generating income and revenue. And and you need that as a city, too, that's struggling like we are with our budget. So. Where do you see this issue in the future coming up? I mean, now it's an election year, and do you think it's the, this is going to stall still this, this debate? I mean, marijuana substance yeah, coming yeah, in? Just in general. I mean, Melrose is putting it literally right on our border, right? Yeah. Um, or it's already open, I think, the medical one that they're probably going to apply for a recreational license to. I mean, I'm very pro business is a good thing hiring people creating jobs is a good thing i think the opioid crisis it's come out that states that have legalized marijuana and use cbd or thc as an alternative to addictive pain medicines actually is a good thing um so i i I can't say that i'm like condoning marijuana shops in malden beyond scope but i do think inviting businesses and creating jobs and and having alternatives and educating kids on the side effects of it and and the consequences of doing it the same you do with sex and alcohol and other drugs i mean 
let parents parent and then let adults be adults and choose what they put in their body and what they don't put in their body. Yeah. You know, and as long as they're abiding by the law, they're not driving high, they're not doing things that are already illegal. I mean, they're adults. And I mean, I, anybody in the United States, hopefully, could appreciate that the more liberty you give to people, you know, the better. So long yeah. as they're not violating other people's rights or, you know, harming others. It's, that's the goal. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen any reports of marijuana causing deaths. I mean, it's not. No. I could it, be wrong. I don't, I don't know. It's tough because how do you yeah. measure it, right? Yeah. So there are there are issues out there when you combine marijuana with alcohol, you combine yeah. marijuana with other things, but then it's a combination of the two. Was it the alcohol? If it's solely marijuana in your system, you know, even that, there's no real reported issues there. Um, yeah. But the thing is, you can have marijuana in your system for a long time, but you go to work a week later, you're not high, but you still have in your system, you get tested, what happens? Are you protected, you're not protected? Yeah. So there are a lot of new legal things that will come up with it. But Another issue, uh, it's, it's kind of died down, but the... There's still people out there that are mad about the blue bags. I know that was an issue a couple of years ago, and that just vanished on the scene. Some people want to go to a barrel. I know Medford. I think Revere has it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's the recycling bins. Yeah. When I see recycling just blowing all over my street, I ha it, yeah, you go out and you pick it all up and you put it away, but it's wide open, you know, uncovered bins. It's flying everywhere. Mm -hmm. For me, the blue bags is really only frustrating when it's, you know, Friday morning and I'm trying to take my trash out really quickly before the truck comes and I have no blue bags. I'm like, um, but I, I get it. I mean, it's a this is the government using a tool to disincentivize yeah. trash, right? Because we have landfills upon landfills. So the government says, okay, whatever layer of government, here it's the city council. How can we disincentivize people using trash? And how can we incentivize recycling? And they say, oh, well, if we charge people for trash bags, they'll be more likely to recycle because they don't want to have to pay the cost of the extra tax of getting the blue bag. Yeah. So it's a matter of the government using different taxation tools or, or fees or costs or whatever to incentivize an action, right? And so whenever you're thinking of a policy is what are the unintended consequences of that? We're seeing unintended consequences of the blue bags. I mean, yeah. people either throw in trash in public barrels or on the street. Um, people can't afford the blue bags. Recycling going everywhere. I mean, it's... It is what it is, right? And so when you're looking at any policy, it's, okay, one, should the government be acting in this? What level of government should be acting in this? What's the least intrusive tool that we can use as a government to incentivize the action? And then we should think very critically about the unintended consequences to make sure that we're not, you know, setting ourselves up for something worse down the road. But, I mean, the blue bags for me is a budget issue yeah. now because it's used as revenue and it's hard to take a revenue out of a budget, as you can probably imagine so. now in your award to edgeworth are, are there any any top you know what, what do the residents say any any complaints what to no i mean i think it's traffic we live closest to you know access to highland ave down to get to wellington the Fellsway to get down to wellington i mean when you're talking about getting into the city for a rush hour it's goes throughout ward right yeah um other than that i mean i personally have a little bit of a uh, bias, but I'm, I'm looking to try and maybe get a dog park or an area near, Dever has a lot of space. I mean, there's some area there with green space that's not permitted. It's not a soccer field. It's not a baseball field. Can you put in a, a chain link fence and maybe have a dog park? There's a ton of dog owners that are walking around all the time without any really good place to run their dogs. Um, but we, we got our roads, you know, relatively, uh, fixed first, you know, that's, that's going yeah. well. I think it's just traffic, really, and, and the thought of putting more development up at the hospital site is probably not a good one. I know the folks that live in 2-1 in and Ward 2, Precinct 1, near the train station, yeah. are really concerned with the sticker parking program because their roads are completely you know, booked all night during the day because people are now moving further and further away from the train to walk to the train and parking there all the time. Yeah. Um, and so they're really looking forward to... Fixing that somehow, whether it's, you know, a, a variation of the sticker parking program or whatnot. But I think that's for that area of the ward is a big concern. And then you have, obviously, the uh, the feast. Yeah, St. Rocco's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we used to have our feast in, in Maplewood. Yeah, St. Joseph's. Joe's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now you guys still have, uh, well, you know, I belong to that I think society. it's the 90th yeah. this year, right? This year is going to be the 90th, yeah. yeah. And I belong to the one, I belong to that one, I belong to the one in boston that's older than yeah. the one in malden yeah so and i know we have our um 
we have our banquet in March, and then the Malden one has this in April yep. at the same place yep. in Anthony's. No, St. Rocco's is great. I mean, I live on a street where they would proceed, so the procession actually yeah, comes down yeah. my street. And for a long time, I didn't know why. I'm like, why does it always come down my street? Why am I lucky? You know, because it literally just makes its way to my street and then goes back up to Pearl Street. And I come to find out it's because a woman who lived next to me, Mary Marinelli, was, you know, very involved in the community. And, and a lot of the folks who were in the Italian-American really respected her and, and whatnot. And, you know, we had the Puglios from Mefford and, and the Artelinos. Everybody would come over to the corner and we'd have a nice little gang of all of us going out, walking the procession or in the procession, you know. And so you, the Gennettis were down there, the CAG. So I think yeah. they were like, let's try and get as close to all those families that are really into it as possible, and then we'll head back to Pearl Street. Um, but I love St. Rocco's. I mean, I've been going since I was born, so it's... Friday, the, Friday yeah. and Saturday, the busiest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Friday night, Saturday night. I mean, even Sunday during the day, like, people yeah. people die hard. You go, and especially with the grease pole coming back, which was exciting. Well, I think... It came back, but it'll stay. I, I think it'll it, stay. It'll stay, but I, I, I think legally they can't. The the society can't promote it because of what happened yesterday. Yeah, I, yeah, I think. yeah. I think the landowner gives private permission to a group of people to try and get yeah. to the top of the grease pole. And I already told uh, <laughs> Nick Izzy, which you know, and I mm-hmm. grew up with. I said that I I donate the prosciutto. No, we need you on the base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need some base people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take me off the fried dough stand, and yeah, I'll uh, exactly. yeah. But exactly. I mean, yeah, he, I told him I'll, I'll donate the prosciutto, and he said throw in a block of cheese. And I yeah. said, okay. We were yeah. close. I mean, there was a few of us women watching because it's predominantly growing up always the guys. It was the first time, right, yeah. women? First, yeah. It was always the guys, you know, oh, we'll get it, we'll get it. Um, and there was like three or four of us watching for a long time. We were like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> yeah. Let's change our clothes yeah. and go help Next them. Next year. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, so. this year, I mean, this this feast, you'll do it. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm down. If they need help, I'm down. That's... You live for that, right? It's yeah. the fun traditions that carry on in Malden that it makes it Malden. I mean, I love the new people coming in. Don't get me wrong. I think new blood, fresh ideas, diversity, it's all great. But there's some traditions in Malden that really make the neighborhoods what they are. Um, and I, so long as everybody's welcoming and people are able to come in and really enjoy it and, and, and do what it is and make it better, I, I think it's a great Malden pot for that. You know, it's opportunities right. for everybody. Well, I'm getting the cue from the director. We're right about to... Uh, Wrap it up. That was quick. We'll have to yeah, have that you did come go back. Fast. Yeah, and I'd love to have you come back. And any final? I wish you the best in anything you do. Thank you. In the city, you Thank know, you. Uh, if you have any final closing comments. No, I mean I'm happy. You know, anybody in the neighborhood coming up to me and let me know what they think. I mean, obviously, as many people as possible giving out ideas and solutions. Obviously, like I said, if they don't want to throw their name in the in the ring or they don't feel comfortable being in the spotlight. I mean, there are people out there who can represent and advocate for the neighborhood and the ward and, you know, feel free to come to me and I can relay or I can help advocate. But I think the main thing is being involved and, and engaged, whether or not you're that person or the person behind the scenes, really, you know, feeling the water. I think it's important because that's how you build community and that's how you make sure you get as many ideas as possible to get the best solutions. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Happy New Year. No problem. Happy New Year yeah. to you.